Good morning, good morning. Good to see you all. My name's James. If I haven't met you before, hopefully I will soon, but good to see you. Hey, there was a, a Soviet Russian leader who told a story of a time in Russia where there was a whole lot of petty theft occurring all across the country. And this was starting to frustrate the government. So what they did is they put in place at all of the government factories, they made sure that there was a guard there 24-7. Now, a lot of these guards knew the people in the factories, okay, because they were working there anyway, but now they were there all the time. And once this guard was in place at a factory, just at this timber works just outside of Leningrad, one night the guard is on duty, and this guy whose name was uh, Petrovich, he comes out with a wheelbarrow, and he walks up to the front gate, and the guard is on the front gate there. And in this wheelbarrow is a suspicious-looking object in a sack. And so the guard stops Petrovich, and he says, Petrovich, what is in that sack? And Petrovich said, it's just you know, wood shavings and, and a few bits of clipping. And the guard says, Petrovich, I wasn't born yesterday, empty out the sack. So he empties out the sack, and, and there it is, some wood chips and some shavings all over the ground. So the guard says, Get it back in your wheelbarrow and get out of here. So he puts it all back in the wheelbarrow, gathers it up, and, and goes off home. Well, this happened every night for the rest of the week. And finally, by the end of the week, the guard is getting really frustrated. And he is thinking, this guy, there is something in that sack, and I can't work it out. And so he stops Petrovich, and he says, listen, I will let you off, okay, but you've got to tell me, what is it that you are stealing? And he looks at the guard, and he says, wheelbarrows, my friend wheelbarrows. And you know, isn't it interesting that you can be given the simplest of missions, stop theft, and you can be distracted by this thing that you never saw coming. And you know, in this world today, right, we are distracted all the time, aren't we? I mean, there are distractions going everywhere, whether it's emails or text messages or Facebook or WhatsApp, there are distractions everywhere around us. And, you know, recent research in a university has, has found that if, you are just, if you're in this deep you know, moment of deep work and then you're distracted by a text message or whatever, it takes on average 23 minutes to get back to that same point of deep concentration. 23 minutes. You think how many text messages are beeping around, and I see people at work all the time. You know, a ding goes off and they're like, that. Well, that's 23 minutes gone, you know. <laughs> we are distracted so much. And how hard it is to keep on mission when you are distracted. You know, this morning we're going to carry on in our series through the book of Nehemiah. And in this part today, we're going to be seeing how Nehemiah defied distraction. How he was so focused on a mission that no matter what came to distract him, he wouldn't be defied by it. And today we're going to discover five defenses for defying distraction, okay? So if you've got a Bible, open it to Nehemiah chapter 6, and I'm going to read the whole chapter. This is an amazing narrative, or you can read it on the screens behind me. This is what happens. (laughs) So that was bigger on my screen at home. (laughs) Don't be distracted by that, okay? So what you get to do now is listen to me or read it out of a real Bible so you won't be distracted by text or I don't know. Anyway, here we go. Chapter 6. When Sen, when Sen, we're getting so funny with this blooming screen. That's right. When Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that no gap was left in it, 
though at that time I had not installed the doors in the city gates. Sanballat and Geshub sent me a message. Come, let's meet together in the villages of the Ono Valley. They were planning to harm me. So I sent messages to them saying, I am doing important work and cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same proposal and I gave them the same reply. Sanballat sent me the same message a fifth time by his aide who had an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem agrees, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. This is the reason you are building the wall. According to these reports, you are to become their king and have even set up the prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim on your behalf, There is a king in Judah. These rumors will be heard by the king. So come, let's confer together. Then I replied to him, There is nothing to these rumors you are spreading. You are inventing them in your own mind. For they were all trying to intimidate us, saying, They will drop their hands from the work and it will never be finished. But now, my God, strengthen my hands. I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was restricted to his house. He said, Let's meet at the house of God, inside the temple. Let's shut the temple doors, because they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you tonight. But I said, Should a man like me run away? How can someone like me enter the temple and live? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him because of the prophecy he spoke against me. Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He was hired so that I would be intimidated, do as he suggested, sin, and get a bad reputation in order that they could discredit me. My God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat for what they have done and also the prophetess Noadiah and the other prophets who wanted to intimidate me. The war was completed in 52 days, on the 25th day of the month Elul. When all our enemies heard this, all the surrounding nations were intimidated and lost their confidence, for they realized that this task had been accomplished by our God. During those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by an oath to him, since he was a son-in-law of Shechaniah, son of Ara. And his son Jehoanan had married the daughter of Meshulam, son of Berechiah. These nobles kept mentioning Tobiah's good deeds to me, and they reported my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. So Nehemiah and his fellow Jews, if you haven't been here in the last few weeks, the story has been that they have been rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And in verse 1 here in chapter 6, we read that the job is almost done. Only the gates are still to be put on. And Sanballat and Tobiah and Gershom and the others that have been intimidating them and persecuting against them, they realize this is their last chance. If they don't get in before the gates are actually put on, then it is finished. The Jerusalem is secure. And so this is the moment that they are trying to say, what can we do? Now, they've tried up until now discouragement. They've tried banding together to fight against the Jews. But as we've seen over the last few weeks, nothing has been successful. And now the task is almost done. And so these three try a new distraction. They try to distract the leader. They're not just focusing on the wider community. Now they're trying to distract the leader. And you know, distraction can seem innocent at times. But distraction can be deadly to a leader. Because I really believe that if Satan can distract a leader, then he can disable that leader's mission. If Satan can distract the leader, he can disable that leader's mission. 
You know, I've been so grieved in the past few years as I've seen all around the world a number of prominent Christian leaders who have been distracted from their mission. And as a result of that, the fallout has been global in some situations. And, you know, I think as a result of that, we've seen people, you know, who are part of those churches who are hurt, who are angry, who are confused. Some of them leave the faith, all because a leader was distracted from their mission. And so look at how Sanballat and the others are using this next ploy. It's aimed at Nehemiah, the leader. And distraction is one of the greatest traps in a leader's life. And in this chapter, we're going to see four different attempts at distracting Nehemiah from his mission. And the first distraction is what I've called compromise. They're trying to entice Nehemiah to compromise. Look at verse 2. Sanballat and Geshem sent me a message Come, let's meet together in the villages of the Ono Valley. Now, what they're basically saying here, the the impression I get is, listen, Nehemiah, I know it's been a rough kind of time. You know, we've been trying to kill you and stuff. But why don't you just come to this nearby village? Let's have a cup of coffee and talk about it. Because surely, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. We We can find a compromise. We can work together on this. There must be a way through this. But isn't it interesting that Nehemiah knew exactly what was behind it? In verse 2, he just calls it out. They were planning to harm me. They were planning to kill me. They were planning to do it. And right here we see the first offense for defying distraction, and that is discernment. Discernment is one of the greatest spiritual gifts that a leader can have. You know, when King Solomon first became king, God asked him, he was a young man, and God said to him, Solomon, what is the one thing that you want? Anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And I love what Solomon says in 1 Kings 3 verse 9. He says this, give your servant God a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? So God asks him, anything you want, Solomon. And Solomon is saying, Lord, I am just a young man. I don't have experience in leadership. I can't even count this vast number of people that you've put under me. God, I need a discerning heart. And you know, if the devil is going to try and take this church out, just like he has so many other churches around the world, one of his key tactics will be to distract the street's leadership from our main mission. You know, C.H. Spurgeon, that wonderful old preacher, he said this, discernment is not simply a matter of telling the difference between right and wrong. Rather, it is the difference between right and almost right. Isn't that interesting? Because discernment is not simple thing. It is trying to work out what is right and what looks almost right. That's where we need God's discernment. And we need to pray that our leaders would have discernment to stay the right course. Are you praying for your elders? Are you praying for the staff and the pastoral staff? Are you praying for your life group leaders? Please pray for the leadership of this church. Pray for Matt Conway as he leads us as chair of the elders here, that we would have discernment to know the difference between right and almost right. Man, we need your prayers. This church needs your prayer. Nehemiah's first defense was discernment. His second defense, I believe, was a crystal clear mission. Verses 3 to 4. So I sent messages to them, messengers to them, saying, I am doing important work and cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? 
Four times they sent me the same proposal and I gave them the same reply. How is that for clarity? He knew what his mission was. It could be summed up in three words, build a wall. That was it. Build a wall. He was so clear on it. Yeah, not like Trump. (laughs) Build the wall. He was clear on his mission. Trump was clear. Anyway, I'm not going to go there. But if we want to lead ourselves and others away from distraction, we need to be crystal clear on what our mission is, don't we? Whether it's in our business, whether it's in our family, whether it's in our personal lives, and it's in our relationships, and our sport, we need clarity of mission. And you know, as a church, the church of Jesus Christ, we have the clearest of missions. It's called the Great Commission. And you know, I've sort of summarized it as this, make and baptize disciples. That's it. Make and baptize disciples. And the street's mission statement has a few more words, but it's basically saying that. And then we've added some numbers to it of four and a half thousand people to be baptized in the Wellington region because that helps us to understand what it looks like here. But it's the same clear mission. Make and baptize disciples. And so when we make decisions as an eldership or as a staff team, we, we always ask that question, how is this going to help us to make and baptize more disciples? One of the things I love being on the elder team is that we will have people come to us and say, hey, we are feeling called to mission outside of New Zealand. And I love hearing the stories of people that are on that mission. But, you know, the question we always ask as a group is, how is this going to help fulfill the Great Commission? How is this going to help to see more disciples made and baptized throughout this world. And if the answer is it is, then we are onto it. And we are saying, absolutely, go with our blessing. But if it's not, it may, be, it may be a really good thing they want to do, but it's not that mission, then we'll say, hey, look, if you want to do it, you go for it. But we're not in behind it so much as a church because it's not aligned to our mission. We've got to stay true to the mission. Nehemiah knew what his mission was, and he stayed absolutely true to it. He knew that he could easily get caught up by doing good, by doing something that seemed almost right, but missing the great mission that he was called to. And you know, each of us need that that fresh reminder of God on a regular basis. This is your mission. And it's why I love it at the street that we have communion every week. Because every single week we do what Jesus commanded us to do, to take bread, to take juice in our case and to remember that he died and he rose again for us. And it brings us back to that mission. And we're never going to stop doing that because that's what we're here for is the mission that Jesus Christ has given us. Distraction number two that comes in. So the first one I've called compromise. The second one is a character attack. And you know, What happens here in verses 5 to 7 is that Sanballat tries a slightly different tact. He basically says to Nehemiah, Nehemiah, have you heard about these rumors that are going on about you? Have you heard about the fact that, you know, what's getting back to the king at the moment is actually you've had a whole different plan about what you're trying to do here. And so he tries to attack the character. And it's really interesting. What he does is he sends a letter to Nehemiah, but you may have noticed in here that it says he sends an open letter. So Sanballat and his mates, they get this letter and they write on it all of these things about what they're accusing Nehemiah to have done, which is really attacking his character. 
And then just like today, if you send a letter, you put it in an envelope, right? Why? So that people can't read it. Well, back then you would seal the letter so that the postman taking it along wouldn't read it on the way. But this is an open letter, conveniently. And do you think maybe what would have happened along the way is this postman's taking it to Nehemiah and he's going through and he's meeting a number of the Jews and he's going through Jerusalem on his way to Nehemiah and this letter's open and he's just sort of having a wee read of it and, you know, he gets to the first person and says, you have no idea what's in this letter. Don't tell anyone, but do you realize what Nehemiah's been up to? You know, the first Jew hears it, the second Jew hears it, the third, and this is spreading like wildfire and his character is under attack. It's an open letter, and this is exactly what Sanballat wanted to happen. You know, it's kind of like, keep it between you and I, but guess what happened to Nehemiah? Let's look at what Nehemiah did. Because, you see, I think character attack is one of the most difficult distractions to combat. I mean, every one of us has been through it at some point in our lives, right? And, you know, for me, when I'm in some way attacked of my character, I I know that there's sort of this thing that goes around in my mind and, you know, I'm trying to defend myself and all this kind of stuff. But what happens with Nehemiah is really interesting. He simply speaks the truth and he moves on. Look at what he says. Verse 8, I replied to him, there is nothing to these rumors you are spreading. You are inventing them in your own mind. And that's it. There is nothing to these rumors and he moves on. And that is such a challenge to me. He simply calls them out for what they are, false. And then what does he do? Defense number four. But now, my God, strengthen my hands. So the first thing he does is he calls it for what he is and what it is, false, and he moves on. The second thing he does is he prays. Now, that is a challenge to me. I mean, I want to get up and I want to defend myself, right? I want to explain why, hey, all these things written about me aren't true. Nehemiah doesn't bother about it just says, it's not true, praise, moves on. Wow, if I could learn how to do that better in my own life, help me to do that, Lord, and help us as a church to be like that. Because we'll get criticism, we'll get character attack, but how do we just move on through that, trusting God? You know, and Warren Worsby, he's a a commentator of the Bible, and I was reading his commentary on Nehemiah 6, and this is what he says, about this character attack. He says, Christian leaders must know how to handle false accusations, vicious letters, unfounded press reports, and gossip. Otherwise, these devilish weapons will so upset them that they will lose their perspective and spend so much time defending themselves that they will neglect their work. It always comes back to that, doesn't it? Ending up neglecting the work. He carries on. Nehemiah didn't make that mistake. He simply denied the reports, prayed to God for strength, and went back to work. And now listen to this. He knew that his character was such that no honest person would believe the false reports. If we take care of our character, we can trust God to take care of our reputation. Isn't that an awesome thought? If we take care of our character, we can trust God to take care of our reputation. Benjamin Franklin, one of his proverbs, he said this, Since I cannot govern my own tongue, though within my own teeth, how can I hope to govern the tongues of others? We can spend so much time worried about what other people say, and actually we've just got to call it for what it is, pray, move on. How much time would be saved in our own lives? How much worry would be done away with? May we learn this defense against character attack. Distraction number three. So now they move to a more familiar distraction, outright intimidation. 
They've tried the other ones. Now we're just going to intimidate. They've been trying it in the first few chapters. Now they're going to give it another crack again. Intimidation. And you know what they do is they pay this false prophet to entice Nehemiah into his own house and then to say to Nehemiah, Nehemiah, your life is in imminent danger. In fact, very tonight you're going to be killed. And they're saying to him, flee to the temple with me. They're trying to distract him. But you see, they obviously hadn't thought this through because they've been intimidating him for five chapters, right? I mean, he has spent his life with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. So why is this suddenly going to be any different? But they're trying to make it personal to him. And this must have been an imminent attack by the way it was being sounded out. But can you imagine what would have happened to Nehemiah's reputation if he had run away? After he's been leading this whole nation to build this this wall and then he runs away? Everything he'd stood for, everything he'd encouraged others to do, he was now being tempted to do, to run away. And not only that, but he was being asked to flee into the temple where only a priest would go. So he's being asked to run away, and he's also being asked to disobey the word of God and to go into the temple where only the priest should go. And in verse 13, Nehemiah sums it up again. He says, Shehemiah, this person who was being uh, basically a, a prophet for hire, was hired so that I would be intimidated, do as he suggested, sin and get a bad reputation in order that they could discredit me. So Nehemiah just plays the same defense pattern that we've seen up till now, right? And then he brings in this fifth defense, and I call it knowing your identity. He says this, should a man like me run away? I love that. Should a man like me wimp out? He's like, you know, not only did he have the discernment, he knew his mission, he just got on with it, he prayed, but now he knows who God has made him to be. Should a man like me run away? You know, I reckon this is a real challenge to the men in this room. It's a challenge to all of us, but I just want to challenge the men in this room for a minute. Should a man like me run away? I want to ask you guys, do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know who God has made you to be? Do you know the mission that he has called your life to follow and fulfill? And are you running away from it? Are you distracted from the mission God has placed on your life? Are you running scared at the moment? Because, you know, there are so many things that we can be distracted through in our life, isn't there? You know, as, maybe as a guy here today, you're being distracted by your job. You're being distracted by relationships, by money, by sex, by whatever it is that's distracting you away from the mission God has put on your life. And I just want to call you out and say, don't be distracted. Put in place the things we've just talked about and be on mission for God. Should a man like me run away? Distraction number four, finally here. And I'm not even going to talk much about this, but simply the way to imagine it is that Sanballat and Tobiah and the others, what they do now is they try to find people that Nehemiah may respect and they try to get those people to tell Nehemiah that that Tobiah is actually a guy that they should trust. So they try to work through the back door. It's another distraction technique. But do you know what I love about it? Do you know what Nehemiah does to this distraction? Absolutely nothing. It doesn't even mention what he does. He's just over it by then. He's just like, guys, if you think now that I'm going to be distracted from the mission God has called me to, it's not going to work. And so I love it that now the Bible doesn't even say anything else. He just moves on with the mission. 
So here we have it. How to defy distraction and how to get on with your mission. But you know what? As I've been thinking about this and reading it over the past week or so, you get to a point where you read all of those five things, right, that you could do. And I reckon the worst thing that would happen is if you walk out of these doors today and think you can do them in and of yourself. Because let me tell you something, you'll be distracted from doing those. You can't do it. I can't do it. None of us can do it in and of ourselves. The only way that we can do it is if we realize that we need to rely on someone else to help us. And you know, the real key, I think, that finishes off this whole passage that we've been reading today is in verse 15. It says this, the war was completed in 52 days. Now, let's just think about that for a second. This wall has been down for over 100 years. No one's been able to rebuild it. And in 52 days, it is completed from beginning to end. Isn't that incredible? With all of that persecution, with all of that distraction, there is a wall with gates on it, and it is there. But do you know why I believe that was able to happen in 52 days? I think the secret is this. Between the beginning of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, Nehemiah gets this vision to rebuild the wall, and then he goes and sees the king at the beginning of chapter 2. And in that time, he is praying. And do you know how long that time is? In the Jewish calendar, it's about four months. So Nehemiah does this, prays for four months, gathers some trees and stuff, and then builds for less than two months. There's something here, right? 100 years, no wall. 52 days, it's finished. But he prays for more than double the time he actually built. And you know, often we get confused with what the purpose of prayer is. We kind of think prayer is something we do so we can get on with the real work. No, no. What Nehemiah is teaching us here is that prayer is the real work so that we can get on with the other stuff. And if we want to be able to be able to defy distraction, then one of the ones up there is prayer. But prayer actually needs to be first, middle, and end of everything. And this is a challenge to me, man. If we are serious about being on mission for God, we need to become serious about seeking God so that we can then do the mission. We need to be serious about putting ourselves in a position of absolute dependence on him so that we can then do the mission. You get it? Nehemiah got it. And this is exactly what he was doing. He understood what the purpose of his life was. And you know, the thing is this, is that even in prayer, we need God's help. And the amazing thing about the story in Nehemiah is that it points us to a person that can help us. It points us to Jesus. You see, if you look at the story of Nehemiah, right, in these chapters that we've just read, Nehemiah was distracted and they said to him, come down to the plain of Ono, come off that wall and come down to this village and let's have a bit of a compromise meeting. What was said to Jesus? They said to Jesus, come down off the cross. Save yourself. If you really are the Messiah... Come down off that mission, and he didn't, did he? He stayed on the cross. And you know, with, with Nehemiah, they said to him, Run to the temple, Nehemiah. You're about to be killed. Run away. 
And what did they say to Jesus? Well, Satan got Jesus in those early days of his ministry. And he said to him, Jesus, if you will just bow down before me, you don't have to go through with all of this other stuff and the cross and everything else. Just bow down before me and I'll give you all the kingdoms in the world. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And, you know, finally, Nehemiah was slandered. And he didn't fight back. And what did they say to Jesus? He was wrongly accused. And yet Anna read to us this morning from Isaiah 53. And the rest of Isaiah 53 says this. It says, Yet like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shearers, Jesus did not open his mouth. The reason that we can defy distraction is because we serve someone who defied distraction. We serve someone, and we love someone, and we know someone who was on mission And that mission, people, was to come into this world and to die on a cross so that you and I didn't have to. And when he was on that cross being told to come down, he wasn't interested because he saw you and I. And he saw the mission he was on. And when he was accused, he didn't fight back. And when he was told to run, he wouldn't run because he knew his mission. And his mission was to save you and I. And I don't know this morning if you know this Jesus we've been talking about, but he knows you, and he wants you to come into a relationship with him. And in a minute, I'm going to give you that opportunity to say, you know what, James, I am distracted in my life. In fact, James, I don't even know what the mission of my life is. I don't even know what the purpose is. He wants you to know that purpose, and it's really simple. It's to know him and then to help others come to know him. And you can know Jesus this morning by giving your life fully to him, by allowing what he did on the cross to be given for you. And you know, the second thing today is this. As I've been thinking about this passage over these past few weeks coming up to this day, the thing I've been thinking about is, you know what? I reckon there's a sand ballot in all of us. There's a sand ballot in all of us. And I look at my own heart and I think, man, sometimes I am a distraction to what God is wanting to do. Sometimes I say things that I just shouldn't say. Some things I, I, I lead people in directions I shouldn't lead them. There's a sand ballot in all of us. And maybe today you also need to just come before God and say, God, if I'm really honest, I've actually been a bit of a distraction. And I need to get right firstly with you, God, and then maybe there's some others I need to go and seek forgiveness with. I don't know. God will work that through in your own heart. But let's not be the sand ballots. Let's be those who are on mission for God. Would you pray with me for a minute? Dear Lord, I want to thank you today that you've given us such a clear um, example in this chapter, Lord, of how to be on mission for you and how to defy distraction. And Lord, I want to just start by thanking you so much, Lord Jesus, that you were not distracted from your mission that you stayed on mission to the very end until you rose again. And, Lord, you showed that you had fulfilled your mission. And then, Lord, you've given us this great commission to go into all the world and to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, you said, surely you'll be with us to the very end of the age. 